Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm Matt, I'm a host, and with me this week is my other host, Joe Perez. How you doing, Joe? Fantastic. It is an exciting week. How about you? Uh, as we're doing this podcast, yeah, it's been there's been eye injections. It's, it's it's all been a rich tapestry. But I do think that you know, since we are a Blizzard Entertainment Discussing podcast and Shadowlands came out this week, as did Diablo 3 season 21, but let's I mean 22, sorry. But let's be fair. I mean, that, that came out on the 20th, and then they put out Shadowlands on the 23rd. So you got to play Shadow Diablo for a couple of yeah, days. It was the shortest time. shortest Diablo season ever. Three days. Never would have expected it. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it is a, a very interesting week, especially with, uh, with Shadowlands releasing. And I think it should go, uh, it should be said, a really smooth launch. Yeah, I didn't notice any real problems when it finally came out. I mean, it it launched fairly late where I am. It launched like four in the afternoon here. Um, so yeah, but no major. A couple disconnects here and there. I've seen some. I saw yeah. some people were complaining, but for the most part, like honestly, folks, tip that server crew, tip that services crew because that was. I'm smooth. frankly amazed that in the middle of a pandemic where the vast majority of the staff is working from home, uh, the people who who handle server stuff are managing to keep it going. I'm sure that there there are some people who are actually campus, but man, that's that's. I think it was so, Russ Peterson did a series of tweets saying, you know, this is this is an amazing feat, and you really don't understand how how amazing it is uh, until you think about the sheer volume of stuff that has to go right for this to work. Yeah, and not only that, but like the sheer volume of data that's being pushed at the moment the game goes live, and I'm not just talking about like downloading patches and stuff like that. Like, while our individual connections uh aren't you know they're insignificant to us multiply that by millions 
uh, of logins and millions of access requests at the same time. And like, yeah, there's going to be things like a little bit of lag here and there, maybe some disconnects. But honestly, that was absolutely brilliant. So I, I know a few members of the server team and I know a few members of the Battle.net team listen to the podcast. This is me saying... I appreciate the hell out of you. That was fantastic. So thank you very much for all of your hard work. Yeah, since we're talking about it, um, one of the things that happened since Shadowlands came out is that some people have already hit 60. Uh, yep. I think Mitch did. To be half, like half of my rating core of my guild is, is 60 at this point. Yeah, I'm, I am not doing that. I straight up am not going to be pushing myself to get to 60 anytime soon. But I just you, don't see any reason to. But you know what the weird thing is? I'm just leaving Bastion, and I'm at 54 and like a quarter of a level. Yeah, I mean, when you get done with Bastion, it'll get you up. It, but not, that's that's crazy. That's higher than, than it was in the beta. Yeah, I, I felt like it was going to happen, uh, quite frankly. That's one of the reasons I'm not sweating it. If I decide to, like, over the weekend, push forward, I'll get there. I mean, like, you know... Oh, but you won't, you'll have missed out on several days of being 60. Like, yeah, and in, in a year, am I going to care? You know, I like think about Battle for Azeroth. By the time the second patch rolled around, did, were you worried about that? I Here's something that happened in Battle for Azeroth that, that has colored my thinking on this subject. I pushed a Death Knight to level to level uh, 120 as fast as I could. Mm-hmm. And played that Death Knight for like a couple of months and hated it and switched back to Warrior. And then I had to level my Warrior up. And then that became my main again. I was playing a warrior as my main in Battle for Azeroth. And I was like, okay, that proved to me that I never have to worry about this. Like, I can, you can always catch up. You can always do the stuff and get the gear and get the rep. Yeah. And it'll be fine. There's always it's, more time for it, right? Yeah. It, 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 there's going to be a year and a half of this. And then if for some reason you have a character that you didn't get to in that expansion, you can pick that character up the next one. Because this character right here, who's my first one through Shadowlands, I was not playing him in Battle for Azeroth. I got him to max level and then I left him there. I didn't do anything. He was like wearing, he was wearing like item level 40 gear when I took him to the mall. Like seriously. And and quite frankly, it's a good thing I had somebody with me because otherwise it would have been hell. But yeah, well, I guess it was hell. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, literally. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things too, where like I know some people are rushing not because they want to just rush through the content, uh, but no, because that's what they like doing. And I I don't have well, a not problem just, with anybody doing that. It just it isn't me. Yeah, well, I was gonna say I was gonna uh, give a shout out to Wolf Parable in the chat there. Uh, like he's an example of something I've heard from other people, which is uh, leveling as quickly as possible to make sure that the story isn't ruined for them, which uh, I'm going to throw this out there. If you're playing through the game, be mindful of others that are playing a little bit slower than you, especially if you're, you're tearing butt through leveling, be mindful of the other players out there a little bit. Maybe try not to spoil things for folks. Let them, let them experience some of the twists and turns. Even when we talk about this stuff on lore watch, we try to give ample warning and put spoilers up and give people the opportunity to walk away just to make sure that, you know, it's not spoiled for folks because some of this stuff is really cool to experience firsthand. Uh, and Bastion in particular is a really great place like to not have anything spoiled for you, but to spend time going through because there's some really cool story elements in there that, that have implications to the rest of the expansion. Yeah. Um, one of the things I did, I posted an article today basically talking about the Maw and Oribos cinematics that you get. They've done their, they've done their, I don't want to say their typical job because this is, this is a step beyond what they did in Battle for Azeroth, which was itself a step beyond what they did in Legion, which was itself a step beyond. They've been improving their game oh, with, yeah. the, with, the, with the mix of, of cutscenes and pre-rendered cinematics. Uh, and they did a really amazing job this time. 
they're they come i honestly feels like they come a lot they, there's a lot of them there's a there's a fair amount of cinematics there's also stuff that isn't a cinematic but that's really interesting mm-hmm. uh there's one quest in particular where jana proudmore for lack of a better word she just straight up makes ice sculptures of everything that's not a spoiler. To, that's just Jaina being Jaina at this point. We've we've lived through it. Super extra about it, where she's making like here's here's what's been happening to us here in the mall, and she just does ice sculptures of the of the, <laughs> herself and her friends being tortured. She just conjured up an ice sculpture of it. I'm like, wow, Jaina, uh, and it's an amazing bit because it it shows you so much more clearly than if you just had Jaina talking about it. Yeah, and it's twenty minutes, and it's it's a, a little more immersive too than just you know having a in my opinion having a cutscene exposition too right because like you can move around you can walk around you can interact with these things in sort of 3d which i think is really really cool like that scene in particular is like you can walk around it you can walk through it like it's it's really neat whereas like with a cinematic you get whatever angle they wanted right uh, it's it's really using that video game storytelling with the game itself as much as possible, and they knock it out of the park. And it's not just that scene. There's a lot of those, and a lot of those really early on in this expansion. And yeah. it's very impressive. If you've you've seen by now, even if you haven't played, you might have seen online various ones. I'm not going to talk about them because, as you said, people are worried they'll get spoiled for it. But one of the things that's interesting is because there are so many of these, and they're used to basically they're there to keep to, to keep you aware of who the characters are, and then the cutscenes are there to make you remember that you're there, uh, and in many cases are the central character of all this. There, there's a lot. I, I'm really very impressed with what they're doing on the cinematic front and the cutscene front. The, the in-game stuff is just. You go back and you remember the Wrathgate, and this clear the Wrathgate is the clear ancestor of all this. But they have taken the ideas from the Wrathgate and they have utterly magnified them. Like instead of just having Bolvar stare up at the place where he left you to, as the only real hint that your character is involved, there your character is standing right next to people. Oh yeah, and, and that's something that they had trouble with for years until they figured out they could do the cutscenes. And it's really, really paying off in this experience. Yeah. And I mean, you can see that evolution throughout all the years. Like, I mean, even Miss Pandaria, like, uh, there are certain cutscenes where, like, certain members of your group would make it into a scene, uh, not just the leveling stuff, but in raids, in dungeons, or like, scenes oh, the, that Thunder, were... the Thunder King destroys the bridge, and you're yeah. on it. Yeah, I remember that. Like, stuff like that. Like, they've been, they've been sort of getting you involved for a while now, and it's sort of hitting those. Like, this is to me is like the culmination of all of that, where it's like you are part of the story in a real way. And, like, yeah, you were with that with Legion, and yeah, you were like that with, with Battle for Azeroth, but I think think shadowlands does it the best so far and this isn't me like you know with the 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 shiny new object glasses on saying yeah this is the best thing ever no like there's an appreciable difference even from battle for azeroth to like the quality is just so much better and i think uh it tearing it's also the way they get used too yeah i was i was gonna say like the the direction of it and where it's placed i think punches better right like or hits uh, hits better i guess i don't know what the how to phrase it but yeah, Karen, Karen and his group, uh, everybody works there. Kudos, you've done amazing things. Uh, and they used to do, like, the, during the beta, there were always these, like, little moments where it would be like, awesome cutscene happens here. And <laughs> yeah. they have actually happened. They have yeah. had the awesome cutscene. I can finally watch all those cutscenes that I wasn't allowed to watch before. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's 
for me so far, it's been exceptionally cool. Yeah, I think um, from here is that talking too much about it risks spoilers. So we're just going to move on to the emails, I think, since that means we've got a fair amount of emails and some of them are pretty long. We uh, do. People, people came back to, to ask us questions because people came back to me. And uh, so if you have an email for the show uh, or just a question in general, and you don't want to email it. We have ways to do that too. If you got an email for us, you can send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with a subject line podcast or blizzard watch. So we know it's for this show. Um, or you can go to our patron Q and podcast questions channel. And you can ask there if you're a patron of the site and you'll get, um, we look, we look there first. So make sure that we get paid. Uh, if you are not a patron, but you want to ask us a question via our Discord, you still can. You, you go to the Q questions channel and you ask there, and we look there as well. But just after the chat, because you know, we give patrons a fair shot for all this support. Um, Joe's going to read it for us, so if you don't mind, Joe. Not at all. Uh, our first one. I, Lord Soth, was a veteran of the Third War. I fought beside Arthas until his order to purge Strathom. Then I was later slain by him and raised as an accursed death knight, sworn to the will of what I now know as the Maw. Now as I venture through the lands of Bastion, seeking to unravel the mysteries of the Jailer, I wonder, would the memory purge of Bastion give me peace? To live a life of suffering, pain, and torment, perhaps... Bastion is one of the best places for Death Knights seeking to not carry the burden of the horrors that they are, to be cleansed of all remembrance of the nightmare of our lives. What are your thoughts? Sure, go for it. <laughs> Maybe? So the the question is, is it the memory that causes Death Knights to always feel that torment and pain that we talk about, where, you know, causing torment and pain is the only thing that gives them peace? Or is that just part and parcel with the fact that they're you know, undead raised in a very specific manner that doesn't matter if they remember or not, that's what's going to happen to them. Also, yeah, I don't know the answer to that question, although it does definitely seem to be implied that it is inherent to their nature to have to do those things. Mm -hmm. It's not just because they have bad memories. It's because the necromantic power that animates them requires them to make others suffer as well as themselves. Yeah, read, read the the sh the new short story that just came out uh, about the Death Knights in particular and, and the whole Bolvar and everything else. Uh, if you haven't already, uh, our good friend Lord Soth, but it's it makes it very clear that that's a constant struggle, even for Darian Morgrain, who is arguably one of the more well-adjusted Death Knights. I don't know if that's uh, how to how to really phrase it, but he's the most used to it out of the current roster, I think. Uh, and even he's been through heck and back. Uh, even the, they talk about everything from like how he was able to re retain control of himself, uh, things like you know what happened at Light Tilt Temple, how that and how that you know factors into it, and the fact that even now he still struggles with this desire to do harm. He has to, like that's part of his being to fight, to be aggressive, uh, to cause and inflict suffering. Like it's. So I don't know if Bastion would really purge that from them. I don't know. Uh, it depends on how that process works. Like going through Bastion, we know that they rip some of that out of, you know, that soul. But how does that work with the Death Knight? We still don't know. It just goes back to like the Forsaken thing. We still don't know what happens with the Forsaken when it dies. It could be the same thing with Death Knights. Haven't uncovered. I don't think we encountered a uh, quote unquote Death Knight soul in uh, Bastion at all, did we? Out of all the weird NPCs we found. Not yet. I mean, unless you're playing a Death Knight. And then again, you're not dead. Unless you are. I mean, Death Knights are dead. But you know you know where we're going with this. 
you're not in Bastion because you're a, a soul who's been sent there by the Arbiter. You're in Bastion because you're trying to unravel the mystery of what's really going on. Yeah. And uh, it, it's really hard to get the uh, the Kyrian to, to grasp this concept because, I mean, spend a lot of time and really get it. As far as, like, like we're talking about with Death Knight's forgetfulness, I mean, it might help, or you might start wondering why it is you just randomly feel the need to hurt people all the time. No. Wow, I, I'm a real jerk. Like, you know, yeah. it, is that even going to be the case? Like, if they purge you enough, are they going to just uh, pull, will they eventually pull your soul out of your body and purge it entirely? Because keep in mind, all the aspirants and people you meet are dead people. As in, they died and they moved on. They passed into the Shadowlands and their spirits were judged. Whereas <laughs> your Death Knight isn't that so would you even still be a death knight if you were a carrion so interestingly That's... interesting enough i'm going to pose a, a different thought on this and and auto luke and chat brought this up and i was going to go here with this as well i almost think maldraxxus would be more peace for a death knight not because it strips anything away from them but maldraxxus is all about being constantly in struggle and constantly being in battle and if battle satiates the pain it almost feels like an eternal life of battle would bring them the most amount of peace. It seems almost paradoxical, but it almost feels like Maldraxxus would be the best place for them. I mean, I'm not going to argue with your point. It seems perfectly valid. It just comes down to whether or not it would work. Does does inflicting suffering on the, the, the dead, like, does it seek the need? That's something I don't know the answer to. Like, But you're not really, are the if you're not inflicting suffering, do you get anything out of it? And that's like, one of the weirdest things for me is like when I'm fighting the Kyrian and stuff in Bastion. Like, okay, what happens to these guys when I kill them? Yeah, like, do they do they go somewhere? Do they vanish entirely? Um, there's like these lion bird things here, and I'm killing them. Why am I killing them? Do they do this their ghostly self then show up? Like, I, what? I just keep trying to tell myself this is nothing but a sack of anima. This is nothing but a sack of anima. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's a lot to, to think about in terms of all this. Uh, I definitely think it would be interesting to find out if Maldrax, like if a Death Knights and Maldrax says they kill somebody and it's like, yeah, you don't feel anything. Like, oh, well, that's not going to start going insane. Could somebody here count, please? Because otherwise I got to go. <laughs> but yeah, we don't know. I don't think it'll even get brought up because, you know, to a certain degree, Blizzard just wants people to play the game and not stand around and have 35 minute, you know, ontological just debates about whether or not the suffering of the dead is sufficient to wait a minute death night you're saying that blizzard doesn't want our discussions to be the norm say it ain't so i'm pretty sure i'm, mm. I'm fairly certain mm. that they, they, they don't intend most players to, <laughs> to sit around for like a half an hour and uh, but yeah so i hope that answers or doesn't answer your question in at least a productive manner lord soth uh our next question comes from sars uh, is it possible we will see Varian Rin again in Shadowlands? His story was tied up pretty nicely in Legion, but I find myself missing his presence and hoping he might make a small appearance in the Land of the Dead. Where do you think we could see him? Perhaps Bastion or the Maw? Thanks. I honestly, I have no idea if Varian still, if his soul survived what Goldon did. Yeah, because his because soul he got was hit with, He got wrecked. hit with fell and he got blown up with fell power that turned him into like ash. I don't. Fell is is inherently destructive to spirits, and so it's possible that his soul got scarred out of all possible rights and he's gone. Or maybe he's not. Maybe he is here somewhere. Um, keep in mind too that, that the four covenants are not the only places you could get sent in the Shadowlands. Like as Joe is really fond of pointing out, there's a whole <laughs> lot of doors in Oribos. Yeah, seriously, people go to Oribos. Look up into the sky when you go, especially when you go meet the uh, the Arbiter. There's doors everywhere. So it's, it's theoretically possible that when the Anima was flowing, 
that there were like countless, you know, areas in contact with the Oribos and that the the dead could be sent to. For all we know, Varian's in some kind of like, you know, heaven. It's just it's a great place to be and he's there with you know, he's not in they didn't think he needed reconditioning, he didn't need to sacrifice anything else, he didn't need to serve anything else. His role was to do something else. I don't know. But it's certainly possible we could see him again if, if Blizzard has decided they want to do so. Sure, yeah, he'll show up. I would like it if he showed up. I'd like to see Varian again. I'd like Varian and Anduin to get the scene they ne- they didn't get. Yeah, yeah. And I agree. Like, it's one of those things I was thinking about, especially as progressing through, like, the story and doing the interactions. It's like, this would be a really nice way for Anduin to get some form of closure. It, you know, something I don't think he's going to get otherwise. And, and you know, I honestly also think that Varian, that Anduin should get to meet his mother. Oh yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent. It would be great if the Varian basically shows up and says, you know, I've I've brought someone for you to meet. There, there's Tiffin, and she gets to see her son, who is now King of Stormlight. That would be nice. I, I'd like that to be well. But uh, I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll shut up so joke and talk about Varian. There's some interesting things early on in Bastion that make it a possibility that we might see him later, and I. I, I this is not spoilery territory, but if you go through the entirety of the the side quests as you're leveling, you'll see it. Um, the Shadowlands is not untouchable by all the other forces, like we've been led to believe, and we've talked about this a bit on on Lore Watch with the light and and void and everything else. It's entirely possible that there is a specific place that fell damaged souls go. There, you know, Altanus is is joking about it in chat but there very well could be basically a mechanic shop for fell damaged souls where the anima can be you know still salvaged or repaired or whatever because they've been around for a very long time they've seen a lot uh and that's one of the things you get a a a very like in the face feel for when you're playing through shadowlands is like a lot of these beings you're you're interacting with are ancient uh some of the higher ups in bastion have been around for you know, eons, they've seen a thing or two, they understand a thing or two, whether or not they understand it from our perspective, you know, that's a whole other thing, but they may have seen fell before. There may be a place where, you know, Varian is healing or his soul is being repaired, but I would really, really like it for us to have Varian at some, I I think it would be a, I don't want to say a missed opportunity, uh, but I think it would be good for the story and good for Anduin to have that moment. I think that would do nothing but to, to give him further resolve. Anything else you want to add to that one? Oh, I think we're good. All right. Uh, this is a bit of a longer one. Uh, so our next one, dear watches, uh, sorry, but this one is a little long. Ooh, hey, hey. At the end of the initial Battle for Azeroth War campaign, Talia is finally introduced to Anduin, and we all learn together that she is Bolvar Fordragon's child. Anduin tells her that they have much to discuss later. Fade to black. Fast forward to the Shadowlands pre-patch event. Go to Stormwind. Meet with Gan to discuss Anduin's kidnapping. Talia is present. Someone mentions Bolvar survived Sylvanas' attack. Whoops. Talia's response is outraged that she was not informed that he was even still alive, let alone that he served as the Lich King. If you click on her afterwards, she continues to blast Gen about all the conversations she had with Anduin about her father that all implied he died a hero. Period. So what the hell, Anduin? He seriously thought that secret needed to be kept now from Bolvar's own daughter? Happy leveling. Belek of Dragonblight. Yeah, I thought the secret had to be kept. Absolutely. 
Yeah. He told him it was very important. Uh, Tyrion Fordring told him it was important. Yeah, everybody made it look very clear that, you know, we didn't want anybody to know. The world must believe that Bolvar Fordragon is dead. That's what Bolvar said. Bolvar said that to Tyrion, and Tyrion told Anduin that that's what Bolvar said. Probably even had him click the statue in Dalaran that has the complete playthrough in case he wanted to see it. <laughs> uh, that's a bit of a joke. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, I, uh, I certain this is not to, to diminish that Talia would likely be upset. Furious, even. I would be. Oh, that's, yeah. That's and, probably understandable. Yeah, and, like, 100% a reasonable, expect, uh, reasonable response. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that Anduin just did it because he didn't have any, you know, he was like, oh, I, I kind of forgot. Sorry, guys. No, he, Anduin was acting the best he could. The, the position of king is extremely stressful, especially if you read um, Shadows Rising, you can see that it's starting to get to Anduin. Oh, yeah. Like he He's is, cracking. He is not the guy he was a few years ago. He's made some extremely hard decisions. The decision to not tell Talia something that her father told Anduin, told Tyrion that he didn't want done, it was probably like an easy decision compared to some of the ones he's had to make. It's like, you know, as opposed to, you know, having to lie to having to lie to one girl and a, and a very thin lie because effectively Bolvar did die. Yeah. It's not like he can come back and be Bolvar in front of people. As far as Anduin knew, that guy was going to be the Lich King forever. He didn't know that, you know, Sylvanas was going to come along and, and rip the helmet off his head and tear it into little pieces. He thought that this was going to be it. This was Bolvar's life now. What purpose would it have served to tell her? Oh, and by the way, your dad, he's not dead. Uh, he's just a Lich King. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't have a real problem with Anduin not telling her. I totally get why she has a problem with it. Uh, you know, absolutely. If you're the you're the girl who's literally never known your father and you thought, oh, I lost my chance to meet him. Oh, well, that's that's awful. But life goes on. And then you find out that this guy you've been talking to not only knew he was still around, totally could have told you that. So you could have gone and had something and he kept it from you and you don't know why. Yeah, that would be that would be enraging. You know, so I want to put this out there and I've had a lot of people ask me why, 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 why would Anduin and all the others think it's a good idea to keep it from her? Talia can kind of get wherever she wants to go. She is not a helpless person. She has, she's very resourceful. She's very intelligent. And we've learned that just like her father, she is incredibly stubborn. And you combine all those things. What do you think would happen if she was told, oh, by the way, your dad's alive. Oh, and he happens to be the Lich King. She'd be at Ice Crown. She'd figure that out. She she has like this this knack of hearing everything that happens. And do you think that adventurers and and the Alliance soldiers that were in Kulturis didn't talk about like the ones that survived the war of, the, of Northrend that that survived the assault on Icecrown Citadel wouldn't talk about it? Soldiers swap stories all of the time. Like that's that's one of the things that's like it's a trope for a reason. If she found out about that, she knows where it is. She knows that that's where, you know, Ice Crown Citadel is. It's pretty common knowledge. She'd show up. And if she showed up, what do you think would have happened? Either something that was undead would have gotten a hold of her or tried to get a hold of her. Something would have tried to use her as leverage against Bolvar. Or she would have been there at the exact wrong moment, such as, I don't know, when Sylvanas Windrunner shows up and starts housing Bolvar? Like, he sent his most trusted generals away. It to keep them safe long enough so that they could do what they needed to do should it happen. How do you think he'd feel about if his daughter showed up? You know, the child that he gave everything to protect. 
Like that is one of those moments where like, yeah, it would be great, but it would be awful for him and it would be awful for her. And it would be putting her at this really incredibly high risk. Whereas not telling her, yeah, it bites. Yeah. It's going to feel really bad. But as things calm down, it's one of those things where she's going to realize that was probably the better choice because she probably would have gotten herself killed. And then what would happen? I, I can't imagine Bolvar still with the crown, the Lich King crown, feeling that despair, you know, seeing that his daughter is dead. Like, do you think he wouldn't have, like, possibly gone uber, like, Super Saiyan emotional wreck and, like, succumbed to the power? He was already struggling with it without that. Like, it's it was the right choice, and it was a heavy choice, and it was one that Anduin and the rest of them made. And even they, like, they didn't have to like it but it was the right thing to do. So, yeah, it stinks, but it makes sense in context of what probably would happen afterwards if they weren't careful. Ugh, anything else to add to that one, good sir? Nothing good. Alrighty. Our next one. Dear Watches, I have a few questions for you to ponder upon. Feel free to answer them if there's still a drought or split them up if you like. Well, we're going to go through them. Uh, when do you think we'll see Azjara again? Do you think she might be in a position above the old gods this time, working for a Void Lord instead? Do you want to do these one at a time? Sure. Okay. Um, we'll probably see her at the end of this expansion. Maybe. Yeah, we'll probably get a, a catch up what she's been up to. I don't think she's going to be working for a Void Lord. I don't think she's going to be working for anybody. The next time we see Ashara, I think she's going to be working for Ashara. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, think about it. She had to get tortured in Nyalotha for a while, but, you know, nonetheless, Te- she's free. Yeah, technically her boss is gone. Well, yeah, gone he's, he's not a problem. Whatever is, whatever he is, he's not currently, like, you know, holding it over her for the first time in 10,000 years. It's like Rita Repulsa here. After 10,000 years, she's free. Now it's time to conquer Azeroth. And she's going to do it with giant monsters that she, you know, grows with her staff. Oh, yeah. She's 100% going to be Rita Repulsa. Yeah. After exactly 10,000 years, I'm finally free. Yep. Yeah. 100%. That's where we're going. So, yeah, that's <laughs> going to be the next expansion. It's going to be, you know, uh, Mighty Morphing as Shara Rangers. And, you know, it's, <laughs> listen, if I get to, if I get to pilot a Megazord and wow, I will never play another game as, as long as I live. You heard that, devs. Make it happen. Like, like Pacific Rim. Wow. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. she definitely will show up um, at some point. I don't know if it will be at the end of this expansion. It might not be for a while. Keep in mind, it took Ashara like like fifteen years to make an appearance in WoW. Yeah, and unless you count the, the Cataclysm one. Or well, she made an appearance in Vanilla too. Technically, there was a quest, but like it wasn't really like anything too special. But I remember her quasi making an appearance. Cataclysm is where she made a face to face appearance, but even that was in time, not current one. So does it really count? I don't know. But my money is at end of expansion. We'll we'll get some form of catch up with what's going on, or at least a hint uh, of something that's happening with her. Because while we're dealing with Shadowlands and dealing with what's happening there, I can't see an opportunistic and free Azara not doing something. Uh, the next question on this list, there are quite a few references in the name tags of Diablo set items. Can you think of some that you appreciate extra? Top of my list is probably Alder's Watchtower being a druid set name in Diablo 2. Do you have a favorite set, Rossi? Uh, yeah, I like the uh, the Immortal King set because it is a reference to the, the, the barbarian king that died before he got to the, the next Immortal King. Uh, the original Mortal King was, of course, uh, Bolkathos. 
But yeah, I, I like the Immortal King set. I like Kanai's Cube. Quite frankly, Kanai's Cube has a really cool reference to to somebody who worked on Diablo and who died. So yeah, I'm a big sucker for Kanai's Cube. I'd say you know, there's you know the the Tribal Guardian, which references Blacathos. There, there's a ton of stuff like that. I mean. I'm a big fan of Diablo, you know, item naming in the first place. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember stuff like uh, I think Diablo two had the I think it was the uh, the blade of Alibaba. I think it was a Tolwer, if I remember correctly. But like that was a really obvious on the nose reference. I still like that. Like, there's tons of stuff like that where like all of that's good. All of it are great. Um, Diablo two in particular, like I think the unique sets were always really cool. I don't remember all of the references, but I I, I vaguely remember. Uh, multiple druid sets uh, referencing real life stuff, but yeah, I, I Diablo is one of those things where I love the referential humor inside of it in an otherwise grim dark world. So there's there's a lot there. <laughs> um, anything else you want to add on that one, or any other ones that you uh, you enjoy? All right, our next question: Do you think there's any chance that we'll fight a dragon, or at least encounter one soon in the Diablo franchise? It would be refreshing to fight something that's not a demon or angel. Don't get me wrong; I don't get tired of fighting them. Uh, I mean, maybe like there is kind of a dragon in the cosmology of of the Diablo universe, isn't there? This Tragul, um, who's like a giant uh, serpent type dragon, who's supposedly the keeper of the balance, and who's the one who taught Rathma. And uh, the the secrets of necromancy and Mendelm as well. So yeah, there's that guy. And there's a possibility with the story, the way that it it's, looks like it's shaping up for Diablo Four, that maybe that might be something that pops up, especially if uh, Rathma is the one bringing Lilith back. Uh, there, the thing there is, is that Tregel seemed very definitely not about Lilith's agenda. So if Lilith is the bad guy, it doesn't seem likely that you'd be fighting. Uh, Tragul, even if you can fight Tragul, and I'm not entirely sure you can. Except for the fact that we are technically Lilith's children in some capacity, maybe? Yeah, but that, that doesn't change the whole, can you fight Tragul? And I don't know that the answer to that is yes. We don't know what Tragul is. We don't know where Tragul comes from. We don't know why he's the dragon of the balance. We don't know why it's so important to him to keep Sanctuary free of both angels and demons. Really don't know much of anything about Tragul. We know that it exists and that it taught people the necromancy. We don't know why. Yeah. So maybe there could be dragons to Diablo. There's certainly enough room to have, you know, things of that nature or scale. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really have a better answer than that. Uh, the last question from our friend here, who is Shadow Petal from Korgal EU. Uh, Perhaps in Diablo 5, if we settle Sanctuary's love story in Diablo 4, we might go to something similar to Argus. The planet is controlled by demons, but the Nephilim come, into, come into contact with the natives who fight from the shadows with little success. That could be an interesting way to go forward. That or exploring the different domains of hell. Uh, yeah, the other option is there could just be more lands to go to in the world of Diablo. We talk about this a lot as far as like in terms of WoW and exploration. The worlds can be as big as the devs want it to be, right? So like as you're creating the world and as you're going into new stories, you can have all the continents and everything that you've already experienced and all the lands that you've already experienced. And there are some pretty well-established Diablo maps for what we have right now, but there's nothing that says there can't be more. That there can't be other continents that well, f that, sh that I mean, show up or are shaped, right? Quite frankly, even if they don't add anything new, there's plenty of places we haven't been. Like we've only seen little pieces that we haven't been to the Scobos Isles ever. Were they talking about us doing that in Diablo Four potentially? They've talked about it before, but I mean, they haven't. We haven't been to the Scobos Isles. We haven't been to Tienza. We, ha you know, there's lots of places we haven't been yet. 
you can still just go to those places before you have to add like a new side of the world or a new planet. Plus we know that most worlds, like the sanctuary's cosmology is not like our universe. Like there's no guarantee that our, the star that is the sun that is in the sky in sanctuary is a star and that the world orbits it and that there are other ones. That's not necessarily how it works. We know that other worlds were created with the world stone but they didn't last the way that Sanctuary has. So it's possible there's no other world besides Pandemonium, Heaven, and Hell to go to, and that any other place is like a demiplane. That's possible too. We don't really know enough about the cosmology of Diablo to really answer this question. Um, in terms of whether or not we can go to a planet full of demons, technically speaking, Sanctuary is a planet full of demons. Yeah. And angels, and their, their offspring. So yeah, who knows? Uh, they could certainly put in more lands in, on Sanctuary if they wanted to. They could just say that they were, like, you know, across an ocean or something. I mean, yeah, why not? They could totally do that. Yeah. I just think that even if they didn't want to do that, they don't have to. They could, could They could just plain old send you to places from Diablo that we haven't been to very often. I mean, we haven't been to most of Kandoras. Mm-hmm. We've been to one area of Kandoras where the king had his chalet. We haven't been to the rest of the country We've only been to like, that's the thing about Diablo is you only go to certain places. Um, Diablo 4 is going to be unique in that it looks to be much more of an open world type experience where you go to a bunch of different places. Uh, I don't know if how much of, of Sanctuary it's going to, to explore. So who knows? And also, remember, keep in mind, Diablo Immortal is coming out and that might show different places that we haven't oh, yeah. been to in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that to keep in mind too. Yeah, there's lots of there's lots of opportunity for what's already been established. But again, like I said, if if they wanted to go elsewhere, they could. So who knows? Uh, our next question comes from Riptides, who is a Pandaren Death Knight on Shuhalo. Uh, question for either podcast. Hello, watchers. After listening to the latest episode of Blizzard Watch and Lore Watch, and the talk about how we don't quite know what the Jailer's motivation is, a few ideas popped into my head. They can all be totally wrong, of course. Uh, if we theorize that the Jailer was put in place by the first ones, is it possible he's breaking the machine of death to get one of them to return so he can free himself from his role? And further, is it possible that a loon could be one of the first ones, and specifically the one he is trying to draw back into the Shadowlands? With a focus on the burning of Teldrassil as opposed to other Alliance races groups, is he deliberately trying to get Elune's attention? As was mentioned by Rossi, the reason we haven't seen her yet, despite everything going on in Azeroth, is she is possibly busy elsewhere. Could uh, could all be nonsense, but maybe there's the seed of something there. Thanks again for all you do. Well, I think it's pretty established. Um, just if you've played through any of Shadowlands, the Maw sets up pretty clearly that he wants something mm-hmm. from He's the looking people. for something in particular. And none of the people that he was currently holding had that thing, but somebody might have it, and that somebody might be the people who've like gone through the maw and actually were able to leave using. I'm just going to say it. it. Maybe this is a slight spoiler. There's a first one portal, and you, the player, go through it, and it's a surprise that you're able to. And that might be what he was looking for this whole time. That might be what he wanted. It certainly seems to be heavily implied that that's part. Of, that was part of his plan. And now that it's actually happened, he's not unhappy so yeah we, we don't it may not be as simple as trying to get the first ones to come back but definitely he wants something and that it's something it seems to involve it, it gets mentioned multiple times that there are the various people are afraid that the the maw is breaking down yeah, that's pretty early on i don't think that's a spoiler yeah, and that the maw is breaking down and that the banished one might soon be free and they're terrified of this they do not want this to happen now, so far, we were, we're under the impression that the, the banished one is the, the jailer. But maybe it is, maybe it's not. We don't know for 100% sure yet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it certainly feels like it is, but I mean, imagine that there's something even worse in, in the Maw that's been banished there and that, you know, might get out if the jailer gets his way. Maybe, you know, we don't know. Uh, I think it's probably just the jailer. I think they're talking about him, but we will see. Yeah. And I don't know, like it, there's definitely a possibility that he is trying to get one of the, the first ones to come back and yeah, maybe Who knows? like this could all be bait for it. Uh, there is also the possibility that a is among them, but we've talked about this a little bit before. We, we still don't know what a is. We talked about it on uh, this week's lore watch, which if I'm going to go ahead and shamelessly self promote, uh, if you haven't listened to it, it should be going live right about, I think today for patron supporters. If it hasn't already gone yesterday. Um, so if you're a patron supporter, go ahead and give it a listen. Uh, it also was the basis for the really awful thing that I photoshopped together for the moon of Terminus uh, as a loon with the, you know, slight modification at the uh, prompting of Rossi. <laughs> uh, I did not prompt you to do that. You totally 100% did. That. Everybody, everybody heard you. It's it's recorded. It's recorded. They know I didn't prompt you. <laughs> But it is, it's possible that she could be one of the first ones. We don't know what those are yet. And I think that's sort of like, that's the big, or I wouldn't say the big, one of the big mysteries that we're trying to solve this expansion, right? Who are the first ones? What were they? We know that they had a hand in shaping the Shadowlands. We know that they were involved in casting the Jailer into the Maw uh, and forming that prison. So, like, were they something that ordered the rest of the universe? Uh, we talked about this a little bit on Lore Watch. Like, we know that the Titans didn't order the universe. They ordered planets. What, how did that happen? Were the first ones involved in that? It, it's entirely possible, as, as Alora for Real is pointing out in the, uh, the chat, uh, Asians, which Final Fantasy 14, yeah, could be, could be 100% something like that. Who knows? Um, we're going to find out more about that as it goes through. I don't know that the burning of Teldrassil was anything more than Sylvanas really doing that on her own. I don't think the jailer said, go burn that tree. At one point, I thought that that might have had some significance since the world trees tended to be uh, almost like stop caps for places of really great power. Uh, and we've seen that in the past with like where they were placed and and some of their purpose, like even in Northrend and with the great tree up there and, and some of the older ones like that. But the more thinking about it, the more it feels like what Matt was talking about on Lorewatch, where it wasn't anything more than the demand for souls needed to be met. And this was how she could do pretty much that while inflicting the maximum amount of pain uh, in, in, you know, sort of that, that weird hopeless way, like trying to take hope away from people because she doesn't feel like she hasn't. Uh, it felt very retaliatory, not, not like a commander, right? Like it was her choice. Uh, but yeah, maybe. And maybe Alun is busy elsewhere. Maybe Alun will make another appearance later. I actually kind of hope she does. Uh, again, because we know that there are ties there. We've talked about this before. We know that there are ties to Ardenweld. Uh, we know that there are ties to the light inside of the rest of the realms, like Bastion. Uh, the light even touches Revendreth. Like, it's it's very complicated. But yeah, could could be nonsense. Could be something there. Uh, maybe the jailer has a grudge match with a loon. Maybe a loon it was made out of the piece that's missing from his chest. Uh, you know, maybe maybe she's the bright side and he's the dark of the moon. Who knows? Uh, there's a million things that could happen, but we'll find out more later. I'm sure as the expansion rolls on. All right, our next question. Hey there, snowflake observers. I noticed that WoW World has absolutely no technology progress in 10k years. What kind of in-game excuse for this can you come up with? Suggle kitten. Uh, I'm gonna call BS on that. 
Yeah, I'm going to say that that's not true. Like, you can chart it just going from Warcraft 1 to now. There's been plenty of technological advancements. Uh, I mean, if you're saying that 10,000 years ago, uh, the, the Night Elves had magic and a lot of it. They didn't really have technology, like, beyond a certain point. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't develop, like, you know, big steam engines and stuff because they didn't have to. Yeah, they didn't need the, it. The Empire of the Night Elves was very, was magical to the point where the uh, Pandaren sent them an empty box as a reference to just how dependent they were on magic. And they didn't get it. I mean, it's that, they were that level of magic obsessed. Um, obviously a lot of groups on, on Azeroth had very advanced technology. Like for instance, the Titan forged, the ones that were up in Alduar and in other Titan facilities had very advanced technology that hasn't really advanced. But in terms of the people of Azeroth, Oh, they absolutely have. If you're wondering why they're not more advanced than they are, keep in mind that there's been how many horrible world shaking disasters, like the, the people, like the humans of Azeroth, for instance, spent several thousand years in squabbling tribes because their the way, place they got came from got sunk under the ocean and they were stuck in a little part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Night Elves, like I said, Night Elves didn't have technology beyond a certain point and didn't care for it. They had arcane magic, and then when they dumped that, they went straight to nature magic. Like They were happy with bows. Bows work. I got, I got my riding cat. What do I need? Uh, but dwarves, dwarves have definitely made te- technological progress ever since they woke up from their their imprisonment. Gnomes, same thing. Uh, you can see te- there's lots of technology. There's technological advancement. It hasn't been a steady development. It, comparing it to humanity, if you go back 10,000 years, humans for the for, for like a solid 9,000 were basically using pointy sticks. Like we we didn't develop anything more advanced than pointy sticks and a way to throw pointy sticks. Um, I, we had atlatls and then we got bows and that was it for a long time. Like for the vast majority of human existence, we did, we barely advanced. It's, it's just technology is something that increases applicatively. Um, if this generation has this thing, now that thing exists and maybe we can improve on it and maybe we can't. A lot of times technology doesn't improve because there's no reason for it to. Yeah. Like train, trains are still like there's a, trains are very much more advanced than they were, but they still are basically a big engine that pulls itself along a track. Um, there's maglev trains and stuff like that, bullet trains, but they're still good old fashioned, more or less unchanged trains from the 1800s that still run on our tracks because there's no reason for them to advance. They're only just now making self-driving cars. That's that's a technology that dates back to the beginning of the 20th century. Like you know, be, you know, 19th century there were cars. They, it, it sometimes takes stuff a while to get more developed. Azeroth has definitely had technological. Yeah, and I mean, like, uh, and the gnomes and goblins are kind of my go-to for that, and which is, I guess, sort of the point of their their races existing. But like, let me ask you a question. Yeah, you're 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 kind of an engineer, right? I I have a background that that mimics that. Yes. You ever think about the fact that that gnomes are basically the concept guys, goblins are the test to destruction yep. guys, yeah, yeah. and dwarves dwarves are the actual engineers of Azeroth. They're the ones who do uh, the actual. Mm. No, I'm going to I'm going to say that that the the so you have gnomes, I would agree, are like the the, the concept pitchmen. Uh, goblins are definitely R&D. Uh, I would say that dwarves are closer to uh, DevOps production. <laughs> so like, yeah, that that's pretty much how that 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 works. Yeah. Yeah. Goblins are QA. They're they're their research and development. They they blow themselves up for science. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty accurate though. That's pretty spot on. But like, yeah, I mean, they've had technology, like even the Torrin, like think about this. 
I understand that it's a very simple machine, but it's still a machine. The great lifts that are there at Thunderblood, that's technology. The Yeah, the other lifts they've had in other places too. Yeah, you can't just ignore those. The, the Horde's got elevators all over the freaking place. Yeah, and, and looking at where uh, Warcraft universe in particular, even if we just stay within the games themselves, you know, the old naval units for the Horde used to be giant turtles. That, that was their submarines. That was their boats. Goblins had turtles. They don't have that anymore. They actually build submarines. You can literally go down to the dock at Dazar Lore, and there is a fully constructed metal nautiloid uh, sitting there waiting to take you to Mechagon. It, it, technology has advanced. It's not to our level. And that's one of the things that I think some people have been talking about is like, you know, why aren't they at like where we are or after, you know, so many thousands of years? And I think Matt has the right of it because the world doesn't need to. And our world magic doesn't exist beyond, you know, a sleight of hand or, or you know, whatever the case is. I wish it existed. I wish, you know, superheroes existed. I, I wish those were things. Those would be cool. But we had to compensate with technology to make up for a lot of that stuff. Uh, you're looking at a world where even their medicine is heavily magic based. Like, Yes, there's there's pulses and, and alchemy and, you know, there are surgeons and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, a priest or a druid or a shaman or a paladin can use magic to mend bones. So why do they need to worry about x-rays or, you know, exploratory surgery or things like that? They don't. They're not necessarily. Uh, I'm not saying it's always the perfect thing because yes, there's battlefield medicine and stuff like that, but like they don't necessarily need cars. They have teleporting mages and portals and and hearthstones and a million different ways to get around. They don't necessarily have to worry about making these huge motorized things, but even they developed trains. The Iron Horde had trains. So technology does advance. This is not as quick uh, as our world because there isn't a need for it to advance as quickly as it does in our world. All right. This next question, unless you have anything else to add. I covered it. Okay. Uh, this one comes from our friend Meleth. Uh, so the rare ice crown spawns in the pre-patch are all old wrath dungeons and raid bosses that are being brought back by the Mossworn Kyrian, right? I assume that the Mossworn are bringing them back from the Maw. And if that's so, did all those guys that we killed go to the Maw because they were irredeemable or because the so-called machinery of death was broken at the time? I was thinking perhaps that they were all, they all went simply because they were touched by the Lich King's power, which we have learned is derived in some way from the Maw. But would that mean that any Forsaken would go to the Maw even if things were still working correctly could this be why sylvanas seemingly wants to bring things crashing down because she realized she and her people had no hope of anything but constant torment under the current system am i rambling at this point uh sweet smile thank you for all that you do um i have an opinion on this one share it y'all remember that he had a whole recruitment camp for valkyr right and like valkyr working for helia that whole thing like if we kill these things, it's entirely possible that those Valkyr just swooped in, grabbed their souls, and shoved them in the maw for later. Especially if they're doing Helia's bidding and Helia's working with the Jailer, that would make perfect sense. Here are these super powerful entities that the Lich King raised. Let's steal them back. Let's let's take them and ferry them into the maw, uh, hide them away in Torghast till later. These are my prize collections for right now. Oh, things are happening. The world has been shattering. Go, Mossworn. Go wreak havoc. You know, it's entirely possible that, that that's what happened and kind of what I think happened, because I don't think they would have gone to the mall otherwise. I think they were literally dragged there by the twisted 
Valkyr that were working for Helia the entire time and not actually working for the Lich King. And I think it boils down to something as simple as that. What do you think? I mean, I think that you good point about Helia. It's possible that they not necessarily, they weren't as in the Maw. She might have had them in her realm. That's entirely possible, too, that she could have had a, a pocket Shadowlands dimension. We talk about that a lot. There, there could be well, other ones. To, we know that she had a realm. We've been to it. We've seen it. But she could have also had another one, right? Would like, she need another one? They could have been in that one. We didn't see the whole thing. True. Just because we went to one part of it. It's a realm. It could be huge. Could, she could have had them all there. Yeah. Um, no, that's, that's I can see that point. Yep. But uh, the other possibility is that they are returned from the Maw, which I don't really... Almost all of the uh, the undead that are seeing we saw during the uh, Rare Spawn event were intelligent ones. Except Trollgore. I'm not sure what you'd say about Trollgore. But, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> huge part of Trollgore. Uh, but seriously, I, I think that most of them were intelligent undead who served the Lich King willingly and thus pretty much put themselves in maw danger just from that. Especially if the, the, the power the Lich King was summoning was that of the maw. And we know that that was something that they didn't want the Arbiter to know. Mm-hmm. So it's quite possible that all of this would have to have happened after whatever disrupted the, the, the Arbiter. And we, we've now seen the Arbiter get disrupted. We, we saw, thanks to one of those cinematics we were talking about before, we've seen the exact moment that it happened. We don't, we don't know when it was in relation to anything else. We, we don't know what that was or what caused it. But we know that it happened, and then every, the Arbiter just stopped. And that's, to me, it feels like that would have had to happen before a lot of this other stuff yeah, happened. Yeah, I would agree. And we don't know who was behind that. I mean, the Jailer might just be taking advantage of it. He may not have caused this. We don't know. We don't know where that came from or why it happened or how it happened. So I'm willing to suspect that there's actually something even bigger going on here in terms of the, these returned various scourge figures the scourge is very definitely in the pocket of big of of big jailer oh yeah yeah straight up he they they, they've been his from the beginning and i'm pretty sure that those people could have very well gone to the mall and then been released when it served the jailer's purposes which is really interesting because the the big thing the jailer loves to talk about is how nobody escapes from the mall and then meanwhile he's sending people back from the mall so it's it's interesting yeah And, and i it's one of those things where like and i hate to say this uh, because it's going to be sort of cliche at this point, and you can probably put this in one of those little buttons that, uh, you know, you press and it has plays the sound bite, but we're going to find out more about this as we progress through, obviously, but we're starting to get more questions now than I think we even had beforehand. And I think that's kind of cool. Circling back to something we said at the top of the, the podcast, the cinematics that were put into the game now that we're getting to experience are showing us things that in the beta we didn't get to see. And that's adding more context to a lot of items, uh, such as the, the thing with the Arbiter and, and stuff like that, which happens pretty early on. But that's starting to color the story and that's starting to shift some of the perspective of what we think uh, potentially happened or is happening and, and put things in different different lights as the expansion goes on obviously we're going to learn more about it but i think it's fascinating that even with what we already know that could shift just based off of those cinematics and what story bits we didn't get to see or or, or were told until now so stuff is still new we're still learning we're still going through um but yeah uh and i think i i would be surprised if there's not a nod or, or an explanation somewhere in this expansion, possibly in Torghast, with how those souls came back to Asgard. So, 
But yeah, that's all I got. Do you have anything else you want to add today? Nope, I think we're good. All right. Well, friends, thank you very much. And Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like an early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads free site experience. Thank you very much, Joe. The urge to yell time for podcast there was overwhelming, but I resisted it like some praise. Uh, if you guys have an email for the show, please send it to podcast at watch.com with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch so we know it's for this show. Or you can go to our Discord channels, uh, to the patron Q and podcast questions channel or the Q questions channel and ask your questions there as well. Thank you guys very much for being here with us and Watch Podcast. On behalf of myself and Joe, I want to say thank you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.